This is the Swans Cast Extra, the number one Sydney Swans fans weekend preview podcast. In this week's episode, we preview the Swans 11th round clash against the Cats at Cadinia Park on Saturday afternoon. We discuss selections, what we're looking forward to, matchups and key points, and give the weekend forecast ahead. This is your host, Justin Mitchell, and with me tonight is Swans Cast Extra regular, Stephen Park. Stephen, thank you so much for coming back on. It has been a little while since you've been on. Yes, Justin, it has been a while, and I apologize about that, but... My actual paid job has taken over for a few weeks with report writing and parent-teacher interviews, so I'm sorry about that. No, that's quite all right. As uh, a lot of our listeners know, real life sometimes gets in the way of these things and we've just got to work around it. That's exactly right. Unlike you, who gets to swan around all day and write about the swans and discuss (laughs) swans all day, how easy it is. I wish I had the, uh, the time to swan around all day. I just have to fit it in when I can. Yeah, I guess that's right. The life we lead, isn't it? But anyway, let's move on into the show. So uh, we had the very first mid-season draft since uh, 1990-something. So it really is the first mid-season draft of this century, certainly of this decade. Uh, The Swans, I think they were the only team to pick up two players. And they've picked up two bargain bin um, players, really, Stephen. They've picked up a Ruckman, who probably would have been picked up in the rookie draft later this year, and Michael Knoll, a 205-centimeter Ruckman from South Adelaide. And they also picked up an electric small forward, Cody Hurst, 178 centimeters, who broke two of Stephen Hill's agility records at last year's draft. So they're two pretty good pickups. I agree with you there, Justin. I was actually very impressed with the Michael Knoll pickup. I think he will actually go a long way. He's really developing. He's only been playing for two years now. And sad thing was, in August last year, he was playing reserves for his local league. Can you believe that? It's absolutely amazing. And when you think about his his history and his, uh, his story to get to AFL, he was a basketballer as a junior he went and played college basketball. He came back. He basically wrote to the Box Hill Hawks saying, can I just have a go at playing football? And they gave him a chance. And he played VFL for two seasons. And then he came across to Adelaide, South Adelaide, to get a chance at playing the Sandfall so he could keep playing and try and get into the AFL. And he was the man of the match in the Sandfall versus Waffle earlier this year. They showcased the match. It's on the uh, it's on the Sanford website, and some of his highlights on that are, are pretty good. And we're going to put a uh, highlight video on later this week, or certainly before the match against Geelong, which, believe it or not, Stephen, he's actually named as an emergency for. Yeah, I was a bit surprised by that. Darcy Cameron seems to have really fallen backwards, hasn't he, in our team list, and I don't know whether he'll actually get recontracted at the end of the year now, Justin. I'm a bit worried. I don't know whether or not it's a sign of the the faith that the Swans have in him, if there is something there that they don't like, or if they are a little bit worried about his fitness because he was withdrawn from the, uh, I believe it was the uni match about three weeks ago when he picked up a calf knock. So at the time they described it as a calf strain and he had a very quick turnaround of one week off. That was it, which was the bye week. So... Yeah, I'm not sure where Darcy Cameron sits. He's had one game last year. He wasn't particularly impressive. He picked up, I think, like five or six hitouts and played 30-odd minutes. So I'm not sure where the Swans kind of rate him, but it doesn't seem like they rate him very highly at all. No, and that's what I find strange because when they actually first picked him up, they were really, really impressed with him. And he went through and won the NEFL award last year, didn't he? So I don't see him as a bad option. I just don't think the Swans have a lot of faith in him. But in saying that, yeah. 
I don't see two Ruckman in our senior side either. No, no. It's But when you think about it, it could be the opportunity to allow Sinclair to play more forward minutes. And we did see that last week, to be honest. We saw Sam Reid going to the Ruck, and he played, I would say, 40 minutes of Ruck time throughout the match. He played um, most of the second quarter in the Ruck. And it did allow Sinclair to have a bit of time in the forward line, a bit of time on the bench as well. So if we are able to bring in Michael Noll as a second Ruckman and allow Sinclair to rotate off the forward line off the bench... I think that gives us a lot more flexibility. And there are pictures up on the Sydney Swans Twitter page. We've put them on our Twitter and Instagram and Facebook pages of Noel going up against Sinclair. Sinclair's jumped off the ground and Noel hasn't even left the ground and Noel's still outreaching Sinclair. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going with Noel is probably going to be playing before the bye or just after the bye. It's going to be playing pretty soon, Stephen. Yes, I think you're right. And I think we could actually use him. What about Cody Hurst though? Justin, what do you think? I don't really know much about him, except that he's uh, a 178-centimetre. He's built like a stick. Uh, he was from the Eastern Rangers, and he did break two of the agility records that Stephen Hill set um, in his draft year. So he essentially missed out on being drafted last year because he had a season-ending injury at the start of the 2018 TAC season. So he missed out. Stephen Trelaw, one of our regulars, who is a bit of a um, bit of a draft sort of uh, watcher, he said that he probably would have been a second round draft had he not been injured and played the whole year. So, in my opinion, that is a steal. That that's like a James Rowbottom level steal. It's a really good pick up that one. Yeah, I hope you're right. I that's one issue I have with this mid season draft. I believe that clubs have actually gone against what the actual idea of it was and picked up young guys who. They're basically putting away so they don't have to draft them in the draft. And as a rookie, they've manipulated. So we've lost Kyle Dunkley as a father-son pickup. Essendon lost someone through the same situation. I'm just a bit worried that clubs are manipulating it and not doing what it was actually intended for. I like the Michael Noel pickup. He's an older player. I don't like the way a lot of clubs drafted juniors who aren't going to play. Yeah. I think they should have actually capped at a, it was a minimum limit of you had to be age 24 or above. That would have been my suggestion for the whole mid-season draft. Yeah, well, I think the Swans have done it well. They've picked up a, a player who's ready to play. Uh, there's, I'm not quite sure which club picked up one player, but they've been named to play this week, so they're coming straight in. So Michael Noll may well be the second or third player from the mid-season draft to play AFL, which is outstanding, as he said. He was just playing local football last year. So to go from a uh, college basketballer to AFL in three years is is quite stunning, really. That's uh, not quite unheard of. We certainly had Mike Pike come from a uh, rugby background and play AFL not that many years after he came out of rugby. So, But I thought the Swans did really well. And I honestly thought there was a chance at some point Alex Johnson might be picked up again. Not to play, but maybe as a mentor in kind of role. Yeah, I was hoping he'd get picked up as well. I thought he might be picked up by Carlton, but obviously they went in a different situation and they didn't need him in this particular instance, but I think he may be picked up in the rookie draft next year. Yeah, I'm, my hopes and my sort of perspective on that is I think it might be more of an outside chance given the fact that he's had, uh, what, six, five, six ACLs now and he's missed so much football. He's played two games since 2012. So if he was to be drafted, he would literally have played two games in eight years, which is um, quite outstanding if he does get drafted. Quite amazing, really. Time to move on to our changes. So, 
two changes for the Swans for this week's match. Daniel Menzel makes his debut, and Jared McVeigh comes back early from his quad injury. So his quad injury was an 8-10 to 10 weeker. He is on the light side of eight weeks, so he's made a really good recovery. Coming out, Stephen, we've got Josh Kennedy with a knee injury, and I couldn't believe it myself. I know a lot of people are quite shocked by this, but Jackson Thurlow has been omitted. Were you uh, Were you expecting that? I was one? really surprised by that. No, Justin, I wasn't expecting that at all. I actually thought he would be in playing against his old club, and I thought there was quite a few others that could have been dropped before him, especially when you look at Geelong's forward line, and I think he would have played really well against them, A, defensively, but he can also run. And I am just a bit worried about putting McVeigh back in there can cause an issue. Although, in saying that, you bring McVeigh in, whose position was Thurlow taking? And that's where it sits. But the other person coming in, Dan Menzel, you were speaking about Alex Johnson with ACLs. How good is his story? Over four knee reconstructions, groin surgery, comes in playing his first game against his old club, has kicked eight goals in his last two games in the kneeful, deserves his opportunity. I'm tipping he's going to kick four or five goals this week. Wow. Wow. And if he can actually manage that, that would be quite a stunning turnaround. Now, we can talk about some of the changes between the two teams. I'm not talking specifically this week. I'm talking in general terms. So, obviously, we've picked up Thurlow and Menzel from Geelong. And going the opposite direction was Gary Rowan. And Gary Rowan has been in some pretty good form this year. Let's not kid ourselves. He has been a bit of a revelation playing at Geelong, playing his more traditional full forward, forward pocket kind of role. The Thurlow... Uh, I'd say removal omission is uh, quite a surprise for me because I would have had Thurlow pegged as the player that would play on Gary Rowan. Who did you think was going to play on him? Yeah, I thought it was going to be Jackson Thurlow as well. I actually thought he has the speed, the agility, and the height to actually match it with Gary Rowan. I can't see Dane Rampey. I can't see Jeremy Bay playing on them because Rampey's got the height but doesn't have the speed. McVeigh's got the speed, but doesn't have the height and or the leap. So I actually thought Thurlow was the right pick. And you take out Melikin, he's got neither. So Gary Rowan's going to eat him alive if they put Melikin on him. Yeah, the only other one really is uh, Mills. And, I mean, Mills can can do it. He's got the size and everything, but I think Gary Rowan will kill him on a lead. It's just an interesting one. So, look, it's not like um, Gary Rowan has been this amazing leading forward who's been able to destroy teams he has had some really good you know ball coming into the forward line and it really helps when you you've won nine out of ten games and and your team's not really struggling to win games and even when they're battling against some of the other teams they're still managing to sort of run over them in the end win pretty comfortably I think it's fair to say the only time that Geelong have lost was against GWS at Cadinia Park that was it really so yeah it's it's going to be an interesting one how they form up against that forward line which is quite tall and quite fast and, and has a lot of uh, variations and, and differences between the players. I mean, they're not all St. Kilda-esque where it's all very generic, very vanilla, very much the same. So, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they play. That's right. And I actually also think it helps their forward line that they have elite kickers getting the ball in there. You've got yeah. Gary Ablett, an elite kicker, kicking the ball in. He's out, You've though. Got Fortunately, he's out. an elite kicker. <laughs> I know Gary is out this week, which I'm actually devastated because I love watching Gary play, the well, little master. He's a good player, 
but uh, he's had a few brain fades this year. And uh, look, we had the discussion in the uh, preview podcast last week uh, when when we talked about the teams, and it was basically if there was a time to take on Collingwood, it was last week when they had their injuries. And it's not like Sydney haven't had their own injuries. They've got some pretty key players, certainly last week, some key players out for a long time. Again, Geelong, key players out for a long time. Josh Kennedy added to that list. He won't be returning until around 14, 15. So we've got a very young young and inexperienced side. We'll cover that more in the preview. But Geelong's injury list isn't very long. And yeah, I, I was kind of hoping Dangerfield would miss on this one. But without Gary Ablett, we've got more of a chance, I'd say. Yeah, I agree. He is actually the guy that has the most score assists in their side. And his foot skills are elite. I wish we had a player that could kick the ball as true as what he does. That's something that we are lacking. Yeah, and maybe that is the reason behind the Thurlow omission, is they think that uh, Mills might be a better matchup for Gary Rowan. But uh, we'll cover that a bit more in, in the uh, in the preview of the match. So the history between the two sides, it's, a, it's an interesting history, Stephen. Uh, the Swans have won six from the last nine matches against Geelong at all venues since 2014. So the Swans have really had the wood over Geelong for the last sort of four to five years. Before then, though, they'd won 12 out of 15. Oh, sorry, they'd won two out of 15. So Geelong well and truly had them pegged all the way back from 2006. The last time, I think 2011 was when we beat them at Cadinia Park uh, for the uh, Jared McVeigh missed through the uh, tragedy in his family, right? I think that was the only time we'd beaten them since 2006 and that 2006 win was after we beat them in the semi-final so it was quite a streak uh but now we've uh, got good form over them and we've actually won the last three matches at Cadinia Park I know it's pretty good isn't it really when you look at it we've won the last three we destroyed them by 110 points two years ago was it two years ago it was uh, two th- years ago wasn't two it? three years ago yeah it was um yeah, I thought so. And we've won six of the last nine since 2014, so that's pretty good. We've actually got a real psychological advantage over the Cats at Cadinia Park. Yeah, we do. And look, as we touched on earlier, Giants are the only other team to beat them at Cadinia Park. And before that, it was Fremantle back in 2013. Notice something interesting about those details, Justin. Which sides beat them at Cadinia Park? On the interstates, interstate sides. Very interesting, isn't it? Because you would think it'd be other Melbourne teams that'd be winning against them, but it's not. It's actually the interstate sides that actually come over there and beat them. Well, I think uh, it's it's weird because the um, the old Eagles and uh, Frio ground used to be fairly similar in dimensions to Geelong's Cadinia Park, right? So there was Subiaco wasn't that different to Cadinia Park. It was long and narrow which is completely and utterly different to the SCG, which is fat and short. So it's the fact that they could actually come to Cadinia Park and destroy Geelong, which they did for three times, and they absolutely torched them two games ago, and then they had that phenomenal comeback uh, against them in 2017. So, yeah, the last two times I've played them uh, have been really impressive games. Sorry, 2018 was a comeback. 2017 was a night match we torched them, so... Yeah, it's it's interesting. We've got that they've got that advantage over them, Stephen. That's exactly right, and it's terrific. I actually really like Cadinia Park as a ground. I think it's one of the best viewing grounds as a spectator as well. Yeah, it is. It's a it's a really nice ground to go and watch football. It's a very 
has that very much country suburban uh, feel to it like the old grounds used to. It doesn't have that big Coliseum stadium feel that um, an SCG or an MCG already had. Well, now Marvel, sorry, sorry, Marvel. So it's, and the Adelaide Oval has that feeling, depending on where you are on Adelaide Oval, it has the similar sort of feeling to Cadinia Park. If you're on the hillside, um, not at the newsstand, but at the other end, it has a very, very similar feel to Cadinia Park, except for the locals who are quite parochial, I think is fair to say. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Cadinia Park reminds me a bit of the Tasmanian grounds, Launceston and Hobart, to be honest, Justin. Yeah, it's a good football environment, and uh, I think the Swans enjoy it, and hopefully uh, they can make it 4 from 4, which would be absolutely awesome. But uh, let's talk a little bit about the last game before we move on into this game. I was uh, overseas for this one. I can't quite recall where I was. I think I was in, uh, I might have been in, um, in New York for this one. And I do remember watching it, and I couldn't believe it when we were just two points down in the last quarter, and we were in front in the third quarter. Geelong almost kicked themselves out of the game with eight goals, 23, which is absolutely ridiculous. And we kicked 9-5, and we were still in touch, and we nearly had a chance to win it. I actually thought that it was a game where we should have been slaughtered. Yeah, if yeah. Geelong had a kick straight and actually played well, we would have been overrun in that game. Well, the interesting thing is, and I went back and had a look at the stats, and they're not that different. The thing was, they slaughtered it in front of goal, and they really butchered some of their disposals at times, and they turned, they turned it over in some pretty bad spots too. But throughout the game, Six lead changes, we're led at quarter time and we're level at three quarter time and we're trialled by just two points in the last quarter. Dane Rampey was uh, our best player by a mile. Franklin kicked four goals. Uh, Sinclair had 35 hitouts, but the amazing thing was Geelong had 30-plus scoring shots. That is huge, isn't it? 30-plus scoring shots is massive. I'm hoping Sinclair can actually do that again with his 35 hitouts. That would be really good because I think he's been struggling in the last few weeks. Yeah, he has. There was a time there when he was down with flu and he was playing some quality Ruckman. He came up against Max Gorn when he was basically stricken and probably shouldn't have played, but we didn't really have anyone else to play in Ruck at the time anyway. So, yeah, look, he's been up and down. He showed a little bit in the third quarter. He sort of turned it around on Brady Grundy like he did last year. But, uh, look, ultimately, he's um, he's been fairly down this year compared to what he was last year. So, yeah, we need, we need a bit of a turnaround from him, Stephen. I agree totally, and I actually think we're running him into the ground. He was terrific last year. He's been good to mediocre this year in patches, and then he's been abysmal in other areas. I just think he needs someone to give him a chop out. I'm actually really worried in that Sam Reed looks a better ruckman when he goes in than what... Sinclair does, and that really worries me. Sam Reid is actually playing really, really well in the ruck. Yeah, he did actually look really good last week, and it was quite amazing um, watching him in the second quarter. He beat Brody Grundy a few times in the leap, and Brody Grundy's no slouch either. And when Brody Grundy was getting the hitouts, he was doing a pretty good job in nullifying the influence that he had. Whereas when Sinclair was playing against him, he was just getting absolutely dominated. But he did have a pretty good third quarter, so there was that. But uh, unfortunately, the fourth quarter wasn't uh, much to write home about, Stephen. No, that's right. But in saying that also, 
Geelong don't have a quality ruckman, in my opinion. No, they don't. And Reece Stanley, he he does play some pretty good football at times, and, and Radagalia as well. And I do recall last year, it was the 22-23 point uh, lead that Geelong had early in the last quarter, and it was Josh Kennedy and, and Callum Sinclair that really turned that match on its head. Robbie Fox got that spectacular mark deep inside the forward line, and then uh, the Swans kicked uh, seven or eight goals to one. And, um, yeah, that was a phenomenal turnaround, completely unexpected. But, well, Josh Kennedy's not there this week, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Maybe that's why they've kept Robbie Fox in this week, because he was one of the instigators in the turnaround last year. <laughs> Maybe that's the reason. Hey, if, if he can do that, that is absolutely fantastic. I'm not going to argue with that. No, me either. I hope he can. I do love a Tassie boy in the team. <laughs> well, let's look at a couple of the stats between the two sides this year. So it's actually quite amazing when you look at the uh, the makeup of the team. So the average age is a 23 each. Average games, Geelong 74, Sydney 69. This is the full squad, not the uh, the team that's been announced, but the full squad. Average height, both teams 189. Average weight, both teams 87. This is how close both teams are, which is ridiculous. Disposals. Geelong have five more average disposals a game. Kicks, five more. Equal handballs, five more inside 50s. 1% better at disposal efficiency. They have a lot more. <laughs> have a lot more ball inside 50, though. Um, we have one more free kick per game. They average one more clearance per game. They average 11 more contested possessions per game. And uh, we average, unfortunately, seven more turnovers per game. Marks, 12 more per game for Geelong. Uh, two more per game inside 50 for them. Uh, but we do average one more intercept possessions. And we do average one more tackle. So I believe that we're pretty much right at the top there, Stephen, for um, tackles per game in the AFL. Yeah, I think we are going quite well there. The other stat that's really interesting for me is Geelong is the lowest play on from marks rate in the AFL at 18.7%, where we're sitting at 32.1%. And the real interesting fact of that is the top six teams are going at less than 20% play on from marks, whereas the bottom six teams are going above 30%. What's happened? I thought they wanted to speed the game up, Justin. It seems to be the teams that are playing well are going slower. Well, the scoring's down. The scoring is way, way, way down. So it's better to possess the ball. I guess you could look at teams like Richmond who have that roll, um, that sort of rolling mall type of football that's very reminiscent of an under-12s game. And they aren't really scoring. I mean, they're having third-quarter scores of like 30 points. So I, I honestly... I don't know what it is, but the teams at the top, they want to control the ball and they want to play the game at their tempo and they don't want to be dictated. The thing that's sort of striking for me about those stats is the Swans really aren't that far off. I think that turnaround has been the last four weeks. That certainly wasn't how it was in the opening four to six rounds, despite the fact we beat Colton, because our quality of football was very poor there for a while it's really been the last three to four weeks we've actually turned it around and played four quarters every single game of good quality football and even even last week against Collingwood when we were down in the second quarter we were still working our backsides off and tackling and harassing and getting back it's just that they got their matchups right and and we took some time to adjust 
Yeah, that's right. And I actually have to say, I believe the Collingwood game was easily our best game of the year. It wasn't for a few small mistakes, we would have actually won that game. And I yeah. actually believed our young guys played exceptionally well. I'd say the one person that I don't think has been playing very well, and I'm surprised that he hasn't been dropped in front of Jackson Thurlow, is Callum Mills. I don't think he is reaching the heights that we actually thought he would reach. Yeah, it's an interesting one, and I say it's an interesting one because he did train in the preseason as a midfielder. And I, I think the Swans didn't expect um, Nick Smith to be out for as long as he's been out. I think they really genuinely expected him to be back by round one or thereabouts. But they've lost him uh, pretty much for the season. I, I'm going to be surprised if Nick Smith plays at all this year. So, uh, And that's basically forced them to play Callum Mills in defense when he trained as a midfielder. So I think that's that's really what's happened with him as for where his uh, drop-off from defense has gone. Also, you look at Grundy's no longer playing. He's retired. Um You've got Malikin and Aliyah playing key positions. Rampy's gone back to that sort of third defender. And there's been a lot of shuffling, a lot of changing. There's not much stability. So I think players who were allowed the freedom and ability to go up and take intercept balls and play with a bit of freedom, they no longer have that sort of freedom. They've got to play their roles and their positions and try and limit their players as much as they can. Yeah, and also you've had McVeigh out for, how long has he been out? Six, seven weeks now? Yeah, seven so... weeks. That also that also brings into the same um, idea. But anyway, let's look at the stats from the last game, Justin. What were some of the major things that we actually noticed from the last time these guys played? Well, again, you look at the stats this season and you look at the last time they played, they're almost identical. We The disposals, they had 31 more disposals. I mean, they had 17 more scoring shots, which is quite ridiculous. But the hitouts five they have five more we had two more tackles they had 13 more inside 50s which is pretty typical of the swans they usually are down that much uh they had two more clearances they had 11 more contested possessions and we had one more mark so there isn't much difference between how they have performed and how the teams have performed in general this year and certainly how the swans have performed against the rest of the competition already in the previous uh, 10 rounds. that's Those numbers are pretty much spot on for how the Swans have been going this year. Yeah, I agree. And I actually think the Cats and the Swans are very, very similar. They've both got a lot of young guys. They've both got a lot of older guys. The problem we have is that a lot of our older guys are injured, where the Cats and yeah. the older guys are not. Yeah, so if you look at the uh, goal kicker list, for example, Tom Hawkins is second with 27. Then you've got Gary Ablett, who's out through suspension. He's got 20 goals. Gary Rowan, 20 goals. They're both averaging two per game. You have to go all the way down uh, to Tom Papley, and I'm just trying to find him. I had him before. He's on 15 goals. Uh, let me find him. Yeah, he's 28th on the goal-kicking list with 15 goals. Franklin is 32nd with 13 goals. So, yeah, we've had a massive drop-off in, in the amount of goal-kickers that we've had, uh, not just across the team, but also the contributions. Sam Reed, he kicked six on the weekend, and he's 38th with 13. And Isaac Henney's 39th with 13. So, yeah, there's a massive, massive difference in how much quality and output Geelong are getting and how much Sydney are getting, certainly in the goals. That's exactly right. And I think that comes down to our 
A, our scoring ability, but the way we kick the ball into our forwards. Yeah. If we're not yeah. kicking in well, they can't take marks, they can't kick goals. This is why we're struggling so much. Geelong is having a lot more inside 50s and they're scoring a lot more easily because of the way they play and their standard of play. They're also scoring much higher than a lot of teams too. Yeah, they don't have a very big contested game. So their biggest contested ball winner is Tim Kelly with 131. He's averaging 13 per game. And that is really phenomenal for a second-year player. Then we have Luke Parker uh, with 123. Um, Unfortunately, Josh Kennedy, who's out this week, he has 115. And George Hewitt has 113, averaging 11.3. The next Geelong player is... Patrick Dangerfield on 111, averaging 12 per game. And then you've really got to go down to a fair way down the list to Isaac Heaney on 94. So, look, Geelong on that list, on the contested possession list, are like not represented at all. Certainly not as much as Sydney are. But, I mean, as you said earlier, they're not playing on that often. They're controlling the ball quite a lot. That's exactly right. And they're deliberately doing that because they know where their strengths are, but they also know where their weaknesses are because they are not a good contested ball team now that Selwood's starting to drop off and hasn't been playing as much. Scott Selwood's not getting a game and so on. They've lost that contested edge, but their skills are outstanding. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the uh, amazing thing is for the player tracker, uh, the top three players, Gary Rowan, he's uh, 35.3, and Jordan Clark at 35.2, and Lance Franklin at 35.2 this season. So they have a very quick uh, very quick team, and uh, we kind of don't. It's going to be interesting to see how we sort of line up on them, Stephen. That's exactly right, and I don't think we've got anyone that's really quick. I think Ryan Clark's probably our quickest player. Yeah, yeah, he is. He's pretty quick, but it's just going to be interesting to see how they stop that easy, quick ball and that quick transition, which Geelong can get. They can go end-to-end very quickly and very efficiently, so it's going to be interesting to see how we stop that. That's for sure. All right, well, we're just going to take a quick break, and we'll be back right after this. Welcome to Intermission. We are back. So now it is time to go through our player of the year vote. So we've got some votes in from our fans this week, Stephen. So every week we put up our player of the year votes for the blog. And then we put it to our fans and our listeners and our followers to give their five to one for player of the year. So I believe you've got the uh, five to one in front of you, Stephen. Can you uh, can you give it to us, please? I do, Justin, but I'm actually going to go one to five because I want to see if we I can like do things it the being other way changed. around. Yeah. So... <laughs> One vote went to the magnificent Ollie Florent. 
two votes went to the outstanding, and I would have actually given this guy the five votes because I thought he was outstanding, <laughs> the easily the best player in the game. Yeah, who was Ryan it? Clark? <laughs> the three votes went to the Mohican man himself with that marvelous haircut, Alia Alia. The four votes went to the captain courageous Luke Parker. And the five votes went to Mr. Obvious, Sam Reed. Yeah, I mean, you can't really go past it. Nine marks, six of them contested, five of them inside forward 50, six goals, seven hitouts, and a bunch of contested possessions and clearances. Uh, he was absolutely phenomenal. He had the top-rated AFL player ratings, rating of the round, which was just under 30, and still Triple M didn't put him in for their top three players of the round. Are you serious? Triple I am didn't. serious. They had they had a poll on Twitter. They ran who was the best player of the round. Uh, they had Todd Goldstein, uh, Gunston, and uh, the player from Richmond, Bashahuli. Wow, that's amazing. I yeah. would have said Goldstein, yes. I would have said Gunston, yes. But Reed would have been my third because yeah. I thought Reed not only did it in front of goals... He also did it in the ruck and around the ground, just like Goldstein did. Yeah, exactly. I was quite surprised that he didn't even get a look in. It's not often that a uh, a guy kicks six goals and goes into the ruck and still does pretty well. But look, uh, our leaderboard, we've still got Josh Kennedy out in front on 20, but his massive lead is now cut to just two votes. So, co-captain. Luke Parker is on second place with 18 votes, and the third co-captain, Dane Rampey, comes in with 16 votes. Isaac Heaney, he's still tracking on 13 votes, and Oliver Florent jumps up to fifth place with 12 votes. So Isaac Heaney, he's been tracking there for quite a while, and at one point, he was second behind Kennedy by about five or six votes. So... It's uh, interesting, and with Kennedy missing for the uh, this match, the next match, and potentially round 14, so he's missing two, potentially three matches, there's a chance that uh, Kennedy might slip into the pack on this one, Stephen. That's exactly right, and I actually think it would be good to see someone else come up and then Kennedy have to work his way back into the lead. I'd really like to see that because Kennedy realistically has been our outstanding player over the last four or five years. I'd like to see someone else take the mantle, and then him have to work hard for it. <laughs> well, I mean, let's face it, he's been our outstanding player for the last decade. Since we brought him in, he's been pretty much thereabouts since uh, since 2009, 2010. He hasn't missed a beat at all. That's true. Yeah, he probably missed a beat in that first year. He was a little bit iffy for a little bit, and then he's just turned into this machine, hasn't he? He has, He'd yeah. He'd be easily one of the most consistent players over the last 10 years. And he's rarely missed games either. He's he's a very uh, very robust player, so he's got longevity. He could keep playing for a couple more years. We've always been a bit wishy-washy when he, when he could finish up. Hopefully he doesn't finish up for another two, three years because he looks like he still has the uh, physical capacity and ability to keep doing it. Yeah, sadly, though, age catches up with the best of us. Yes, and uh, injuries, so uh, hopefully this is the only injury he suffers for quite some time. That would certainly be good. Speaking of uh, old men ripping it up, old man McVeigh, he's uh, killing it, despite the fact that he's uh, getting a bit long in the tooth. He's ageing like a very fine wine, Stephen. Yes, well, I hope so, and I hope he comes out and he plays really well for the rest of the year. Now, Justin, the question is, do you think he'll play on next year? 
if he has a good second half of the year. If he is injury-free and his body feels good, yes, he's going to put his hand up and say, I can do another year. I would be shocked if he retired. In saying that, if he did retire, I'd want him to go straight into coaching. For the Swans. Yep. No one else. <laughs> That's right. Here's my grand prediction that is going to happen over the next two years, Justin, if they do not bring the runners back. Here's my grand prediction. Every team will have a playing assistant coach within the next two years if runners are not allowed back out in the ground. Yeah, it's a good one. And it's something that uh, we we have discussed quite a few times offline. Certainly, uh, we have our own Swanscast chat and we discuss a lot of these issues and, and what can happen. And we have talked about the fact that McVeigh is, in essence, a on-field coach. Uh, Kieran Jack was brought in to play that role earlier this year. But the thing with Kieran Jack was his body didn't allow him to play. So he was only playing 60 minutes a game. And he broke down. Every, every time he's played this year, he's broken down. McVeigh, though, over the last two and a bit years, he's averaged 20-plus disposals. He's been a phenomenal player for us. And I still remember back in 2017 when we were still struggling, he... Did his hammy and kicked two goals against North Melbourne with a bung hammy. I think that just shows the character and the strength of the person. Yes, I agree with you there, Justin. And going back on that also, I don't think Kieran Jack is in the right spot to be that on-field leader, that assistant coach type role. I actually think, like Luke Hodge and Jared McVeigh, you need to be playing off the half-back flank so you can actually watch the play unfold and you can control and guide it. Whereas if you're on the forward line, you're always looking for your next possession, yeah. your next kick. And I think it changes it. And I think that's why the best captains and the best uh, on-field leadership is always from the back half. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You don't see too many forwards who are who are captains. And you don't see too many forwards who win accolades, uh, mostly because the game, they, they are kind of chasing the game. They don't get a, uh, a wide view of the game. They can certainly help in their own area, but when you look at uh, your Luke Hodges, uh, uh, Trent Crowe was regarded as a leader back at Hawthorne of Fremantle when he played. Uh, Fremantle had quite a few uh, good players, you know, the McFarlands and whatnot, who were considered great leaders without even being captains or when they were captains. Uh, your McVeigh, who's been a defender for years, he was a defender even as a, as a captain. A lot of these players, you're right, they see the game in front of them and they can predict things and they can sort of guide their players and help coach players and certainly set things up, which is really important. When we talked to Ted Richards earlier this week, we talked about the fact that uh, the New England Patriots have been able to defy the odds for so long and Tom Brady, who's a quarterback who's 40 years old, is still playing the the highest level football in America. And... Can, you know, Jack McVeigh last to 40? I don't know, but the way he's playing, yeah, I'd want him to keep him out there and certainly keep doing that leadership and on-field coaching role. That's exactly right. And I believe if the way football is going, it will actually end up being you'll have a playing assistant coach that will be yeah. your 36, 37, 38-year-old who will be playing from that half-back flank, uh, back pocket type role doing that particular thing, which will be guiding those players and structuring up the field and be making the changes on the ground because the coach can no longer do it. Yeah, and look, I mean, obviously we've got to preface this with the fact that he's still got to be able to play at a high level. He, we can't carry him. So he has to contribute and he has to contribute strongly and he has to be able to do his role. And it's been quite amazing that with the fact, like Luke Hodge, 
they have lost a bit of pace. They've lost a little bit of physicality. But the way they've been able to adjust and adapt to, to the football as it's changed. And Heath Grundy was a massive example of this. You know, he, he wasn't the quickest player. And over the years, he seemed to lose a little bit of pace. And the forwards seemed to be a bit quicker. But he was never beaten. And if he was beaten, he wasn't beaten easily. Only just. Like, how many forwards really got on top and absolutely killed him? Not many. That's exactly right. And someone said, I think it was Nick Rewalt said on AFL 360 the other day, players like Jared McVeigh, Heath Grundy, they're rarely beaten and they always come out on top. You may get on them once, but you can never get on them two, three, four times in a row because they work it out and they get their bodies in the right position and they know what they're doing. And when they lose a bit of pace, they make up for it in their tactical nous. And Reece Shaw, who's now the interim coach in North Melbourne, he was fantastic in his on-field leadership role from 2012 to 2016, 2015, 2016, when he retired. He lost a fair bit of pace, but he wasn't getting that easily beaten, and he was still contributing very strongly in that defense and still leading it. So, yeah, I think the Swans have done very well over the years in developing leadership material. But... I want to get back on track and we'll go back into our sort of match preview, matchups, key points, etc. So I'll kick things off with our matchups for the weekend ahead. We talked about Gary Rowan a little bit and I don't think we're quite sure who's going to play on him. But for this one, I've pegged it as Dane Rampy, Stephen. So yeah, my matchup is going to be Dane Rampy on Gary Rowan. And I don't think we can give him a, uh, a cheapy, easy one. It might be Colin Reardon because uh, Reardon's not exactly a slouch, but... We're going to have to put a minor on him because he he can explode, and when he explodes, he can kick four or five goals in a game. That's right, and based on what we're looking at, I think the big issues we've got is we've got Tom Hawkins and Gary Rowan as their big two power forwards, but you've got Gary Rowan who's also quick. And I think it's either going to be Rampy or Aaliyah that'll be take one of those. Rampy's probably as good a bet as Aaliyah, in my honest opinion, so it could be a very good matchup. And it could end up being that they rotate them because neither of them can do it. Yeah, the other flip side is the fact that uh, Dangerfield, who's returning from injury, will probably spend the majority of the game in the forward line like he did in his game that he was injured in because he has been carrying an ankle injury for some time. Luke Dalhouse as well, uh, Myers, uh, Radigalia. They have a lot of players that they can rotate through there. Um, Clark, Parfit. Uh, Henry to some extent, uh, Blitzars can even run in there. So they have a lot of variety and a lot of options. So it's uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how they form up. But look, Stephen, your matchup, please. Yeah, just before we go on, that's a potent forward line. And my matchup will determine whether their forward line will actually get the ball in there. And that's Ryan Clark on Tim Kelly. I believe Clark is the person that can nullify Tim Kelly. He is going to win or be very close to winning the Brownlow this year. He is a gun, Tim Kelly, and I think Ryan Clark is the person to stop him because I reckon they'll tag George Hewitt with somebody, and Hewitt tagging somebody while he's got a tag is not going to work. Ryan Clark has demonstrated over the past two weeks he's got the ability to tag people out of games very, very well. Yeah, he might be doing that rotating role on Dangerfield and Kelly. Uh, when they're in the midfield. And he's done a pretty good job. I mean, he shot down both uh, Shaw and Higgins and uh, still side bottom. They had four disposals each at half time. 
And that is ridiculous. They are two of the most damaging players in their respective teams. They're some of the most damaging players in the AFL. And for them to have four disposals at halftime is phenomenal. It is ridiculous. That's exactly right. And the thing with that was Ryan Clark basically stayed in the midfield or on the wing for the entire game for the Swans last week. It was only when Still Sidebottom went into a forward pocket that he actually started to get some yeah. possessions. So that was obvious that he was going to get possessions then. Ryan Clark did an amazing job. When Still Sidebottom was in the middle, Ryan Clark was in the middle with him. When Still Sidebottom went to the bench or went to the a forward pocket, Ryan Clark went to a wing and picked up somebody else. He did an amazing job. Yeah, he really did. And he showed he's uh, not only capable of winning the ball and stopping other players, but he has the elite fitness to keep playing. And he played a lot of minutes as well. That's exactly right. The only concern I have with Ryan Clark, and I don't think it's a major concern at this particular point, is his kicking skills let him down a little bit, but his hands are very, very good. In close, when I watched him against North Melbourne, his hands are outstanding when he's in a pack. Yeah, he uh, he's really shown since he's come to this one, so he can certainly win the ball and dish it out, which is really crucial. Obviously, we had Tom Mitchell a couple of years ago. He left, and his hands have been phenomenal for years. Key point, Stephen. So my key point is we have to stop Geelong's explosive pace out of the pack. You know, we're going to make it a real scrimmage game. Now, if they don't play on a lot, and they like to control the ball at tempo. But the thing that they can do is when they get the ball out of the pack, they can explode out of the pack with pace and they spread and run and nail targets real fast. So we have to stop that and prevent that as much as possible. Totally agree. And I hope that we can do that. And I'm hoping that we don't get shown up for a lack of pace, which is a big fear to me. I really, really worry about that. Now your key point, please, Stephen. My key point is a short, simple one. If Buddy plays on the wing this week, we will win the game. If he plays forward, we will lose. And the reason I say that, he came back in and we targeted him almost every single time he was within the forward 50. When he is up the ground, we are less likely to target him and we actually look for other avenues. So I believe putting him on the wing and allowing him to do a Gary Ablett role where he kicks the ball into the forwards gives us a much better chance of, A, marking the ball, and B, scoring. Yeah, it's been an argument for a very, very long time, and you can go all the way back to 2013 when Hawthorne knew they were losing him. They knew they weren't going to be able to keep him. Uh, They wanted to change their forward line to have life after Franklin. What they do, they put him on the wing, and he still kicks 60-plus goals. That's exactly right. He can still do it. Yeah, it's a question whether or not he's fit enough or he's got the uh, agility anymore to do it. But his field kicking is still elite, and it's still like top 10, top 15 in the league. There aren't that many better field kickers than him. Uh, the only forwards that are comparable uh, is Joe Danaher, and his field kicking is phenomenal. But he's been out injured for practically the last three years. So, yeah, well, if we can get him on the wing and get him using the ball, there is a very good chance that he's going to set some scores up. That's exactly right. And I actually believe if he played on the wing next year, and so the rest of this year and next year, he could actually do a Matthew Richardson yep. and almost win the Brownlow or <laughs> go a bit step further and actually win the Brownlow. Well, Richo kicked 10 against, uh, I think it was against the Swans or someone. I can't remember who he kicked 10 against, but he did that playing from the wing at one year. So, yeah, a uh, turnaround from that would be absolutely phenomenal. But uh, predictions time? 
My prediction for the weekend is, uh, I know he's been named in defence, but I think Blitzars will tag Hewitt. What makes you say that? Well, I suspect that Hewitt's going to go into the middle and he's going to dominate. He's going to start getting a lot of clearances and a lot of contested ball. And they're going to put Blitzars onto him in a tagging role because he's of a similar size and physique. He's a bit bigger and a bit quicker. You're probably right, and I reckon you're right there with Hewitt as well. I think Hewitt will be the person that takes over from the Josh Kennedy role. And now your prediction, please, Stephen? Mine's Swans-related, but not actually Swans-related. Mine's a short, simple one again. Reshaw will win his first match as coach. Love it, love it, love it. Who are North playing this weekend? Richmond. Yes, please. Um, yeah, go for it, Reshaw. <laughs> yes, and it's Friday night, so get on it. And yes. cheer home, Reese Shaw, and make sure he wins. Yes. It was actually very interesting watching his press conference and the language that he used. And I think that's, for me, it was telling. You didn't really have to read between the lines. You just have to sort of interpret what he said a little bit. But basically, he said, I'm not Brad Scott. I won't be talking to the group like Brad Scott. I'm a little bit quirky and I'm going to talk to him and be a bit more friendly. So it was clear that Brad Scott wasn't getting any reaction from the players for a lot of the season. And they played putrid football for many, many quarters of, of the season so far. So I think it was clear that he'd lost the players and he wasn't getting any response from them. Yeah, I agree. And I would actually say that Brad Scott is the type of coach when he's got an older generation of players, he would be outstanding. When he's got a young group coming through, he doesn't handle it very well. And I think that yeah. was his biggest issue. And I think that's why Reese Shaw is going to be the type of coach that will work well because he will be able to develop a young group of players like he did with the Swans Reserves. Whereas someone like a Brad Scott and I'm afraid to say a Brendan Bolton yeah. are not very good with the younger players. Yeah, 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 exactly. And uh, look, Brendan Bolton's only had young players to work with pretty much his entire time at Carlton. And it's fair to say that this year will be his last. There's absolutely no no question about it. Uh, should he continue coaching? Yes. But look, uh, that's outside the purview of uh, this podcast. I love the Reshaw will win. I genuinely hope that they win for him. And uh, maybe that's the only win they get for the season. I don't care. But as long as Reshaw gets one win as a senior coach, I am delighted. It is time now for our weekend forecast. So, sure thing, please, Stephen. Menzel will be booed this weekend. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not sure it's going to be a massive boo because the uh, the Geelong faithful, they're, they're quite a good crowd down there. They're not parochial. They're not over the top like if you go to um, Adelaide or Perth where they will boo and hiss and uh, basically pour beer over the fence in the player's general direction. Or if you go watch a, uh, a Collingwood or Richmond game, they'll scream and swear and all sorts of things get all over the fence. But yeah, look, he'll probably get booed. Yeah, I think so. And Justin, what about your sure thing? So my sure thing is the Swans will win if they can get 50 or more inside 50s. They've been getting beaten in the inside 50 count all season, but when they've got to 50, they've been either very close or they've won. And I think in this case, against Geelong, if they can get 50 or more, they're going to win this game. That's a fair response, and I actually reckon you could be very, very true there. Now, my most at stake is uh, we touched on him before, it's Callum Sinclair, and uh, I'm sorry to say in this case, I think he's going to get beaten again. That's my most at stake, Callum Sinclair. Well, I think you're very close to the money there because Reece Stanley is actually ranked as the third best ruckman 
in the league this year behind Brody Grundy and Max Gorn. And the sad thing is he is dominant around the ground, which yeah. Sinclair has lost the ability to do this year. Yeah, I, I just think um, with the with the new guy being picked up, you know, Michael Knoll, I think if if it's a case if he gets beaten, I think Michael Knoll's playing a debut in round 12. Yeah, that's a possibility. And I still feel sorry for Darcy Cameron. Yep. Now, your most at stake, please. Mine, Robbie Fox. I don't think he can afford to have another poor game. If he does, I don't actually think we'll see him play for the Swans again. Yeah, it's a tough one. It really is a tough one because he's been in and out of the side and he's never really had that much of an impact. So, yeah, it's I'm not quite sure what role he plays. No, neither do I. And I actually think he needs to play as a halfback flanker or the wing. But he, he just yeah. seems to be pushed everywhere. He's on the forward line. He's in the back line. He's in the midfield. He's on the wing. He hasn't had one set position. And the only time he's actually looked reasonable over the past two years was when he was our backup Ruckman last year, and he yeah. actually did quite well around the ground. Yeah, look, I think we just Dean towered him. That's it. That That's the only thing I can say about it. Uh, your doomsday scenario, please, Stephen. Well, this is probably the worst one as a Swans fan. Gary Rowan has a shocking day, doesn't do anything, but then kicks the winning goal late in the last <laughs> quarter to put... The cat's over the line. I hate you. <laughs> yeah, that one would be a uh, would be a bit of a heartbreaker. Uh, my doomsday scenario is very very similar. It's from cut from the same cloth, really, except mine's at the opposite end. Gary Rowan kicks five goals. Gary Rowan kicks five. That would be a doomsday scenario for us because we cut him, and then it'd be basically in the top five goal kickers in the league. I know. Wouldn't that be sad? And. It Egg shows a lot about using a <laughs> player to their potential. Yes. Yes, we would be very much egg on face if that were to happen. We'd be looking at ourselves going, yeah, this was not a good move. Because he didn't want to leave. And I think that's where I'm going to leave it. He just didn't want to leave and I'm not going to say any more on that topic. That's right. And let's let that one go because <laughs> we've done it. We let him go. We let him go. Stephen, thank you so much for coming on. It's been great having you on again. Thank you, Justin. It's a pleasure, and I'm hoping I can get back into a normal routine now. And reports are over, and I'll be able to be on more frequently. On more frequently. And we must put a bit of a note at the end of the show. We must have to sort of forgive Stephen's noise. He's uh, unfortunately a little bit, little bit sick at the moment. He's uh, inherited the cold from his uh, two-year-old son. So uh, make sure you give him uh, our love for your cold, please. I certainly will. <laughs> That's the worst thing about having toddlers running around the house. Uh, no question about that. Uh, as always, you can follow us on social media with the tag, the Swans blog. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And we also have the tag Swanscast podcast on Facebook. So get on there, follow us, like us, leave us a review. You can always send us a message with the hashtags Swanscast and Swanscast extra throughout the week. We'll be back on Sunday after the match. So until next time, go Swans. Go Swannies. <laughs> <laughs>